Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When we studied this three weeks ago, we looked at verses 7 to 15, and we pondered seven realities for Christians that we see in the text, starting off with the reality of what a treasure we have in our salvation, in our perfect relationship with God. What a treasure we have, and that's a reality for believers. You see that Paul is teaching us through all these verses that life and hope hinge to a very large degree on our perspective of reality. And for the Christian in particular, our faith's perspective of reality. Paul's talking about both our temporal and our eternal realities. He's addressing physical and spiritual realities. And he's going to continue to drive these reality truths home in the last three verses of chapter 4, which we're going to study today. But to get us back into the groove and to give us some contextual perspective as to why Paul says what he says in the last three verses, let's read all of chapter 4. So starting in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we received mercy, we do not lose heart. That's the theme of our study. We do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also with Jesus raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. And now we come to today's text. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. These are the true and eternal words of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word, your truth, that we might not only live by it, but that we might know the perfect and good and acceptable will of God. Lord, I'm mindful of Graham's message last week about how we plan our ways, but it is you who direct our steps. The outcome of life is in your hands. And so, Lord, knowing that you are the good and sovereign God, we come to your word with humble hearts, acknowledging our need for it. Lord, we need truth. We need strength. We need joy from above. And we know, Lord, that you not only long to give it to us, but you will. You have. You always will. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do this morning through the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, jumping right into verse 16. We see that Paul has somewhat placed a bookend on this part of the chapter here. He began verse 1 with, we do not lose heart. And here in verse 16, he says again, therefore, we do not lose heart. We see that Paul is assuring these Corinthian believers that he is not giving up. In spite of the persecution, in spite of false accusations, and many of us know how painful those can be, especially when they become public, but in spite of the false accusations, in spite of the perplexity and the overwhelming hardship, Paul is not discouraged. He's not depressed, and he is not giving up. The King James says, we faint not. Those words allude to the fact that Paul's circumstances were such that it would have been expected of him to pass out in a general sense. On the contrary, Paul wants these believers to know that he is finding the strength he needs to fight the good fight. That's a theme, again, of our entire study of this book. Finding real power. And Paul says here in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because everything just stated prior in this chapter is true, is reality, Paul is not going to give up. If you and I want to know how to not give up on God, when life hits us hardest, then we should sink our teeth into the first three-fourths of this chapter. Paul says, that's why I'm not giving up. And of course, this chapter 4 is just another layer to the therefores of chapter 3 and chapter 2 and all that was said in chapter 1, layer upon layer of reason why he's not giving up the faith. This is pertinent to us, especially in a time when we've seen not one but two significant Christian leaders say, we don't believe. 
Let's look now at the reality truths that Paul continues to lay out at the end of chapter 4. In verse 16, he says, But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Notice the first reality in this verse. Our outer man is decaying. It's wasting away, as some of your Bibles say. It's perishing. We are all one day closer to death than we were yesterday. We know that aging is inevitable. I'm 43, but more and more often people are reminding me that I'm not getting any what? Younger. Thank you, I appreciate that. (laughs) One of the things that I've come to appreciate in this book is Paul's realistic view of life and faith. His spiritual side hasn't lost touch with the earthly. He says here, listen to me, I'm dying. Or, Or at least my body is getting weaker and weaker. It's decaying by the day. If we step back and think about the big picture here of Paul's life, we recognize that his current circumstances lend great weight to his words. He wasn't sitting in a multi-million dollar air-conditioned mansion teaching everyone about how to suffer for Christ. This was a man who was beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked and reviled her for his faith time and time again. He was, by all physical standards, a worn down and dying man. As my study Bible notes, his exhausting and his dangerous missionary lifestyle was accelerating the aging process for him. There's a reality here that every one of us needs to acknowledge, and that is that our body is dying and is going to die should the Lord tarry. Paul doesn't hide any truths here, but he doesn't just acknowledge acknowledge the harsh reality of physical decay, of illness, of suffering, etc., he actually sets it side by side with another reality. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. If you've suffered as a devoted follower of Christ, you have likely learned to treasure those words. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Paul's referring to his soul, his spirit, his inner being, And he says it's not decaying, just the opposite. It is being made like new day by day. Paul has just pulled out the balance and he has placed these two realities side by side. And he's pointing out that although the reality of dying sits on one side of the balance, the reality of his inner and spiritual renewal sits on the other. And it not only sits on the other side of the balance, it weighs more. How do we know that he's pointing to the greater weight of the latter? Because he just said, we do not lose heart. The reality of bodily decay, of illness, and ultimately death, tends to cause one to lose heart. Severe illness tends to cause one to want to give up. But the reality of inner renewal, Paul says, here I have found strength. I have found hope. I have found true joy. I do not lose heart. The latter beats the prior. It overcomes it. It rules one's perspective of the prior. 
Paul further adds the phrase, day by day. This gives us glimpses into even more truths. We don't get God's grace, God's strength in large batches. You know this. We get God's grace one day at a time. This speaks not only to the timing, but to the quantity of grace received. Just enough for today. This is a lesson I need to learn more of. Jesus personally spoke on this in Matthew chapter 6, right? Graham read these verses last week, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus asked in verse 27, Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Referring to the basic necessities of life. Jesus goes on to say in verse 30, You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, that is the the non-believers, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that, that you need all these things. But Then there's that verse that we lean so heavily on for direction in life. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This day-by-day phrase that Paul intentionally uses here also alludes to the consistency of God's renewing power. Day after day after day after day, the power will be there. It never ends, as Lamentations says. Lamentations 3 21 to 23, the writer says, this I recall to mind. Keep that phrase in mind as we work our way through the rest of these verses. The writer here in Lamentation says, this is what I have to look at. This is what I have to keep my mind set on. He says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. If you're looking for hope, think carefully about what your mind focuses on what it remembers, etc. We're going to see this as we work through these verses. He says, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's this never ceasing daily loving kindness and mercy and compassion from God that Paul sets side by side with the reality of physical suffering and even death. And Paul continues to expand this comparison in verse 17. He says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That is a most excellent statement. Think about those words again as I read them. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul just spoke in verse 8 of what? Of his innumerable afflictions. He says, I'm getting it from every side. He spoke of his persecutions his perplexity at life and what God was doing and his being struck down, being beaten. We recently also looked at his more complete list of sufferings and hardships. 
In chapter 11, verse 23, where he mentioned his far more labors in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. Frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, countrymen, Gentiles, and the list goes on. He turns here and he calls all of this what? Momentary light affliction. Wouldn't you like to know how to have that kind of overcoming and yet realistic perspective of the hardships in your life? The Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul is giving us some of the greatest secrets to endurance and motivation and real power. Paul looks at his sufferings and he concludes that they are virtually nothing. Let's make some observations of the text. First, he calls his sufferings momentary. This speaks to the length of time they are lasting. I don't know about you, but when I'm down in hard times, when I've got the stomach flu or whatever it might be, I feel like it's never going to end. When I'm struggling to pay my bills, it's, it seems like they'll never end. And that's true, they won't. <laughs> they'll always come this life. But not to make light of true suffering, it often feels like it's never going to end. Paul says, these will only last for a moment. They're very brief. I won't have to wait long for complete relief. How in the world does a person come to the point they can honestly say those things smack in the middle of their greatest hardships? We'll find the answer in a few minutes here. Secondly, Paul calls his sufferings light. He says they hardly weigh anything. I don't know about you again, but there are times that my trials feel like they're going to crush me. And I know that there are many of you here who have suffered far greater trials than I have. I've heard you say it. I've seen it in your eyes. I've, I've read it in the social media posts. This is crushing me. But what did Paul say earlier in the chapter about his long list of afflictions that were coming from every side? He said, I am not crushed. Here he calls them light. Mere ounces. Again, like a feather. And let's not forget what he's describing. He's describing his afflictions, the verse says. By definition, afflictions are not the little troubles in life. They are the most severe troubles. The word literally refers to pressures. Oppression. It refers to tribulation and distress. Paul's talking about the greatest pains and hurts and agonies he has endured to date. These are the trials that, that seem to tear us apart. These are the sorrows that seem to break our hearts. And Paul calls these light. Like a feather. How in the world does a person come to the point that they can honestly and realistically say that of their most difficult circumstances? We'll find out in a minute here. The verse goes on to say, 
for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Paul just moved to the other side of the balance. Momentary light afflictions on the one side and an eternal weight of glory on the other. Christian friends, you and I are looking at one of the most empowering realities available to God's children, and that is the eternal weight of glory. Should we have a thousand Sunday mornings to study that phrase, we would not even begin to grasp the magnificence of such a grand truth reality. I didn't put out a salt starter in the bulletins this week because your, your discussion assignment is very simple. I emailed out these questions, everyone in the salt groups just last night. When you, when you meet together, I'd like you to just sit and discuss and savor and celebrate your eternal weight of glory. If your group isn't meeting this week, then discuss it with a friend. Talk about your eternal weight of glory with your spouse or your children, your family. Do it with God in your own quiet time. As we continue studying this passage, we begin to realize that this eternal weight of glory that Paul is referring to is the game changer. This is the secret ingredient. Think about this with me. Paul can only call his incredible afflictions momentary because he is comparing to them, them to the eternity of his great glory with God in heaven. Paul can only call his afflictions light because he is weighing them against the weight, the massiveness, the enormity of his towering glory in heaven with God. Now you see why I've titled today's study, Careful What You Compare. Would you agree with me that if we compare our current sufferings with the good old days of yesterday, those sufferings are going to look large. If we lose a job promotion because we're a Christian and we compare that to the position we could have had, we're going, it's going to look like we lost out. If we compare our severe illness today with the good health we had last year, the illness is going to look devastating. If we compare our greatest sorrows to the times in the past when we were free of them, then sorrow is going to look overwhelming. We wish they would go away. They're going to weigh on us, and at times it is going to seem like they are crushing us. The Scripture is clear. Choose carefully what you compare. Choose carefully or you will lose heart. Choose carefully what you compare or you will want to give up. Choose carefully or your afflictions will appear bigger than life. Perhaps even bigger than God. $20 seemed like a lot to my son Leo until he learned what 100 was. It's all about comparison. And Paul had identified a reality that outweighed another reality. How much so? Look at the words he used. Far beyond all comparison. Those are big words. 
This eternal weight of glory is not just better, it is far better. And how, how far? He says it's beyond all comparison. That means there is no comparison. Nothing comes even close. If you tried to measure the difference between the two, it's too big to calculate. Numbers don't go that high. And this eternal weight of glory is not just better in some respects. It doesn't just apply in some situations. It isn't just one of the good options out there. It is far beyond all comparison. There is no measurement in the universe that shortens or lessens or defies this greater reality for the believer, and that is their eternal weight of glory. Romans 8.18, Paul said there as well, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us, to be revealed to us. This begs the question, what is the eternal weight of glory? Christian friend, if you and I can't see it, we can't compare anything to it, right? If we don't know very well what the eternal weight of glory is, then we're going to see life's afflictions and they're going to look like a tidal wave about to hit us. We're going to feel like ants when we should feel like giants. We're going to want to give up when we should be giving everything we've got. We're going to lose heart when we should be losing fear. Paul's big picture message here, as best I can discern it, is we do not lose heart because we see our eternal weight of glory. So what is that eternal weight of glory? What is that spiritual eternal reality that so empowered the Apostle Paul? Paul knew we would ask. Verse 18. He gives some clues. He says, while we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Notice, very important here, verse 17 only happens when the while of verse 18 happens. The far beyond all comparison happens while we look not at the things which are seen, that is the temporal, but at the things which are not seen, the eternal. This again begs the question, how well do you and I know eternity? How many of the scriptures have we memorized where God speaks of heaven? And what will happen after this life? Are we focused on those realities? Paul says, we look in verse 18. That is clearly not referencing an occasional glance or a fuzzy glimpse in heaven's direction or a vague idea of something that's to come after this life. Paul is referring to a laser-sharp focus, a constant visual, a steadfast and certain perspective. His eye was so sharply set on the things which are not seen that it gave him proper understanding of the things which are seen. His focus was on the realities in life that really matter, and that is the eternal things, the eternal truths, the eternal values, the eternal treasures, 
We're talking about nothing less than biblical truth. Paul's focus on these spiritual and eternal truths and realities was so clear that it put all temporal realities in their proper place. No matter how harsh and severe they were, were, it put them in proper perspective. Christian friend, we cannot afford to live without this perspective. And that requires a very clear understanding of the things that are spiritual and eternal. It's why we so desperately need our own quiet time in the Word of God each day. It's why we so desperately need these times together where we open the Word together and ponder its truths, where we stimulate one another's minds to the realities that Scripture is presenting to us that we could not otherwise even see. It's why we need Sunday school, Graham's class on foundational truths. Don't let that title deceive you. This isn't just the little things that they taught in Sunday school. This is the big things they taught in children's Sunday school. The truths that never change. The truths that empower people who have been believers for decades. It's why I need and value so much the salt groups. Our time to come together and ponder not only the Word of God, but how it looks in our Monday through Saturday as well. I struggle to take my eyes off the things of this life because I see them in front of me. I struggle to take my eyes off of the pleasures, the possessions, the daily news, the statistics, etc. It's hard to focus my vision on things that I can't see, the eternal things, the spiritual realities, the spiritual values and commands that are given all throughout the pages of Scripture. It's why we have to focus right here so often, so intently, so intentionally. When we think about it, the Bible is a lens for life. A lens that sees the things that cannot be seen. The things that are most important the things that will last, as the verse says, for eternity. This text is is teaching and reminding us that when we take our eyes off the spiritual and the eternal, our perspective changes. And I dare say that more often than not, we don't even realize it's changing. We begin drawing different conclusions, and those conclusions, hear me, are not realistic. Our eyes are deceiving us. Our eyes are lying to us because they are not seeing the whole truth. Our problems are not as big as they seem apart from the Word of God. Our problems aren't that big compared to God. Compared to the eternal weight of glory they are producing. Paul used that word in verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. When we stop and carefully and prayerfully ponder it, we realize that the word producing 
is a painful, but not so painful, word in the text. The text is teaching us that we don't get the eternal weight of glory apart from our suffering. We don't get that eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison if we don't let light momentary afflictions achieve their God-ordained, God-empowered eternal purposes. Producing. That word changes my understanding of the text. I'll admit, I took a 90-degree turn all of a sudden in my study this week. I thought I knew what the eternal weight of glory was until I slowed down and meditated on that key word, produce. Yes, my salvation is an eternal weight of glory, but it's not the eternal weights that Paul is talking about here. Yes, our home in heaven for all eternity is a pretty massive weight of glory, but that's not what Paul is talking about. Listen closely. Because suffering on earth does not produce salvation. That's a works-based, suffering-based view of soteriology, of the doctrine of salvation. It minimizes the need for the cross and the blood of Christ and the grace from above. And it does so in a heretical, man-centered way. Suffering for Christ is a part of salvation, but it is not the currency of salvation. Only the blood of Christ can pay that price. We dare not confuse these two. So what is the eternal weight of glory? Far beyond all comparison then, that Paul is referring to here. What is that reality that so radically changed his view of his most intense personal sufferings? If we search through the pages of Scripture, we find many purposes and blessings that come through suffering, suffering for Christ. One of the blessings is Christ-likeness. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, Paul says, We also exult in our tribulations. I mean, that's a thought right there. He rejoices. He celebrates. He exults in his tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Oh, that we had time to just spend all of our study right there in those words. People in this world lose hope when the going gets tough. Followers of Christ find it. And it doesn't disappoint because it magnifies the love of God. These are spiritual realities that are easily missed if our focus is not in the Word. James 1, 2-4, you know these verses well. Count it all joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, and we can stop right there, that's a better phrase than I think than just suffering. It's not suffering, it's the testing of our faith. 
He says, knowing that the suffering, the, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Maturity, not just now, but an eternal reward comes through the suffering. Paul is even going to lead, allude to the eternal rewards of Christ-like behavior when we get to chapter 5. We'll get there soon. Christ-empowered character counts. And it not only counts for this life, it counts and will be counted in eternity. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14 speak of even more blessings that accompany suffering for Christ. Suffering in faith. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. My goodness, talk about perspective. Perspective of suffering that comes, especially suffering on account of the name of Christ. He says, don't be surprised. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. The more you suffer, the more you should rejoice. My, what a spiritual challenge for us. So that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I'm sure we could spend much time reflecting on God's sovereign purposes for suffering and the eternal weight of glory that comes through it. It produces this. But let's pull this back into context. Paul specifically has an eternal weight of glory in mind here that I want us to really focus on. Look at verse 12. He says, so death works in us, but life in you. Verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. When you get home or, or when you're in your salt groups, read verses 16 through 18 in the context of verses 12 through 15, like we should do. And you'll begin to grasp the power of what God is teaching us through these verses. Self-preservation is not the key to true happiness and real power. It is others' preservation. It's their salvation. Real enduring power is not found by avoiding God-ordained trials. Real power is found in the mission of taking saving grace to others. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul's been saying it all along. All things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. For you, for the glory of God. Let that phrase sink deep into our minds. For you, for the glory of God. That is how Paul lived, and it empowered him. Now, we would surely be swinging the pendulum too far to say that evangelism is the only source of true power. 
Paul's not saying that, and neither should we. A simple lesson and truth here in the text for us today is that living the gospel for the salvation of others and the glory of God is one of the great ingredients of real power. Paul was living proof of this truth. And he's sharing, he's a witness of it to us. His eyes were so focused on eternal realities, the unseen things, like the souls of others being saved and being present with him when Christ returns. He was so focused on that and so not focused on the temporal realities, the things he sees, like the scars and the bruises all across his body, that it propelled him to keep on keeping on for Christ. He was so aware not only of the glory of his salvation, but the potential eternal weight of glory in others that it lifted him above his very real sufferings. There is an eternal weight of glory that is found when we live out the gospel, when we take every circumstance that God brings our way, both good and hard, and we let God build our faith and build our character, our Christ-like proven character. And when, we, when He manifests Himself and His power through us to others so that they can see that God is real. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. Show that to the world. They will see real power. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I have a friend out east who's going through cancer treatment. She's a few decades older than myself, so she's seen a bit of life. Her treatments aren't going well. Excruciating suffering that I won't describe and go into here. Earlier this week, her platelet count was down to 35. Some of you know that that's too low to even receive a chemo treatment. That's her third one to miss. But on Wednesday, she led her day shift nurse to Christ. How awesome is that? The nurse asked her about her faith, asked her about her Christianity. She said, because I see that you're not afraid to die. You have joy and you have peace. And this particular nurse had a friend who recently died who didn't have them. And she's seen, assuredly, many people die who did not have those things. And so she asked her about her faith. My friend wrote this on her Facebook page three days ago. The exceeding joy of my day shift RN's free gift of salvation last evening is so encouraging and inspiring. I thanked God this morning for the, this great honor of leading her to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Her salvation by faith makes my cancer, trial, and pain all worthwhile. She went on to say, I'm forever grateful to God for our awesome and divine encounter last evening. I know, and she put that in all caps, sounds like Paul, I know I will have a great celebration in heaven with this dear sister in the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus in heaven. 
Hallelujah. End quote. Do you think that friend of mine experienced some of the power that Paul is talking about in these verses? And all throughout these first four chapters, that woman is so sick she can't even receive her chemo treatment. And in the same week she's saying, I am so encouraged and inspired. That's real power. That's the power of God. That's an eternal weight of glory that is changing her perspective. As we wrap up, let's focus on three application questions. When I suffer, what do I compare it to? Secondly, what is my eternal weight of glory? And third, am I diligently focused on that glory and the rest of my spiritual eternal realities? My prayer is that we will all walk away from this place with clear direction for life. And not only direction, but the strength, the focus, and the motivation to follow through with it, to see life from God's perspective. God's will is for every believer to echo what Paul said in these verses. We do not lose heart. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or of fear, but of power and love and discipline or a sound mind. Isaiah 40, don't you love these verses, 28 to 31. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. Love that. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. He's not just a strong God. He ministers his strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord... There's that eternal perspective. That's the vision of things that are not seen. Those who wait for the Lord will gain what? New strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. These are realities, spiritual truths and promises that cannot be seen with the eye. They're seen with faith. As the writer of Hebrews says, they're so real, it's as though though we can touch them. They're evidence, they're substance. We can bank on them. And these truths that we're studying here in chapter 4 are already pointing way ahead to what many consider to be the theme verses of this entire book. And this is chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. And the Lord has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And what was Paul's response to God's sufficient grace? He said, Most gladly, therefore. That's a change of perspective, that's a divine perspective. 
He said, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content, not just content, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is so awesome. And your word is you. You are an awesome God. Thank you for loving us like you did through Christ Jesus. And for not only giving us the gift of salvation, but even so much more in this eternal weight of glory. So many blessings from heaven. You've given us truth to live by and the power to live it. You've given us reality, an understanding of reality, of a, a clarity of reality through your word. Help us to love your word, to love you. But Lord, let that love not stop there. Indeed, it can't. May that love overflow to those around us, to those who know Christ, especially the household of faith, and then also, Lord, immeasurably to the lost. We pray for our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our family members who don't know you. May they see in us and hear from our lips a witness of the power of God radically changing our life. Giving us an almost unbelievable positive perspective. One that defies the best positive perspective the world has to offer. May they see in us a hope and a strength and a joy that rises above the most severe of our circumstances. And as the nations around Israel said when the wall was built, Surely their God helped them. May others see in us the power of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.